Hello, everybody. It's good to see you all. I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna get started. Is that cool? In the 2008 film Kung Fu Panda. The, the titular panda, or protagonist, right? In that movie, he is divinely appointed as what's called, does anybody know it? Dragon. The Dragon Warrior. Okay, wow. I don't even say it. This is great. He's the Dragon Warrior, right? And in the lore, I guess, of Kung Fu Panda, he, that, that was a prophesied kind of position, this, an individual who was destined to save China, Right? For those of you who haven't watched it, like the rest of us, I guess. So the, anta- the antagonist is this leopard. His name is Tai Lung. And he finds out that the dragon warrior has been selected. And he has this to say. I have an image of that. He says, finally, a worthy opponent. Our battle will be legendary. Yes? See, <laughs> don't worry. I'll transition in a, in a moment. Don't worry. See, Tai Lung, he searched high and low for an opponent who could match him because he was so skilled in martial arts. Just nobody could even, even compare to him in a fight. He, want, he was searching for one who was worthy of his superior skill. But he says finally here because every time that he thought he had a worthy challenger or a worthy opponent, he was disappointed. He was left disappointed every time. And here's my transition. Are you ready? All right, you and I, okay, we naturally go about our lives searching for a worthy object of our worship, a worthy object of our attention and of our affection. And all potential objects of worship in this world leave us disappointed every time. And so, in Psalm 145, verse 3, it says this, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Bible says that the Lord God is the most worthy. And truly, he is the only one who is worthy of our worship. That's what we see throughout the pages of the Bible. He is the only one who is worthy of praise in worship. God made you to worship him. But that, that longing in your heart to worship him, it so often gets redirected to other lesser objects of worship. This is part of the human condition. And so tonight as we conclude this, this series, Train to Win, we're looking at the discipline of worship. The the definition of worship is directly tied to this idea of worthiness. And so in a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, which you'll see a lot throughout this handout, Donald Whitney writes, the word worship descends from the Saxon word, anybody, anyone want to try that one? Yeah, I don't know. What's that? Okay, okay, yeah, sure, we'll go with that. I don't speak, uh, you know, Saxon. <laughs> but that later became the word worship. To worship God means to ascribe the proper worth 
to God. I'll stop there. That phrase, ascribing the proper worth to God, it echoes what we read in the Bible in Psalm 29.2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. What does that word mean, ascribe? So we can think of it in terms of attributing something to him, right? Uh, who here has written a paper within the past week? Anybody? Any paper writers? Okay, whoa, whoa, it's very imbalanced. Okay, a lot of this half, yeah. And so when you write a paper, you don't always come up with everything, right? Sometimes you pull a quote, kind of like I'm doing here, from a different source. And what do you do? You make a citation, you make an attribution to the originator of that quote. That's how it works. Otherwise, you're stealing, you're, you're pretending that it's something of yours when it's not. You're giving credit where credit's due. That's attribution. That's ascribing the quote to its source. Ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. John Piper writes, worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. So why is God worthy? Why is God worthy of your worship? There's two reasons that we read in this next quote. It says, we worship the Lord, not only because of who he is, but also because of what he has done. Above all, the God of the Bible is the God who acts. His goodness, faithfulness, justice, mercy, all can be seen in his dealings with his people. As the apostle Paul says, the only reasonable response is worship. We praise God for who he is and thank him for what he has done, for who he is, what he's done. Another helpful definition for us goes as follows. I'm going to base some stuff off of this here. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. Two, two dimensions here, right? Okay, focus. That means contemplation, right? Adoration. We are focused upon him in, in two different ways. Maybe there's, there's concentrated moments of focus where in his word or in, in acts of music and worship, you are just consumed by him and thoughts of him and thoughts of God. You are focused upon him, but then also we can focus on God with the lifestyle of abiding in him, focusing on him in the decisions that we make. Psalm 27, four says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. One thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That, that second one, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, this is an act of concentration, of focusing upon him, either in a concentrated state or in a lifestyle of living in a way that, that pleases, that glorifies him. And so the, that's, that's focus. Next is response. We respond to God. And we, we see this because we don't, we don't start all this. God took that first step in Romans 5, 8. It's not on your handout. Romans 5, 8, though, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in a state of opposition 
to God. We were not submitted to him as our creator, as our Lord. He took the first step of reaching out. Christ died for us. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. And there's a, there's a million other ways that God reaches out to you in a way that you might never have responded to him and his love. And so we respond in love. He took that step toward us in love and we respond in love through worship. Richard Foster writes, it is God who seeks, draws, persuades. Worship is the human response to the divine initiative. Worship is the human response to the divine initiative. God initiates love in your life. Once again, in ways that you just don't even, don't even realize right now. But there are some huge ways that God has initiated that love. First of all, through creation, he made you, he breathed life into you. And every person in this room and every person outside this room, he's created us and he has saved us. He has made a way for us to be saved from the corruption of our souls. So for, through creation and salvation, God has just reached out to you in ways that it only makes sense to respond, to respond in love, to respond in worship. And so I want to get into now, how do we express worship? What are some manifestations of worship? so that we can try to figure out, like, this is kind of an ambiguous word, and it's hard to kind of get our, get our minds around, get our hands around. And so let's, let's take a look at, okay, what does that, what does that mean? Worship through, worship through music, that's kind of our common association of worship, right? When I say worship, there's going to be worship at a challenge on Tuesday, right? We're probably, a lot of us are thinking of, of music, and that is an expression of worship, but it isn't the whole picture. And so, one simple but, but huge part of our worship in, express, in expressed form in our life is through just a lifestyle of obedience and abiding in God. I referenced this earlier. But a lifestyle of obedience and abiding in God. We see that in Romans 12.1, which says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So if your life is holy and pleasing to God in obedience, then you are expressing true worship to him. Now in this verse, there, it talks about a living sacrifice. In the old laws of the Jewish people, there was literal animal sacrifices that had to be conducted in order to atone for sin, in order to make people holy so that they could draw near to God. But we see here this idea of a metaphorical sacrifice. This is not a literal sacrifice of ourselves through, through you know, whatever, killing an animal or death. No, this is like we offer up our lives. We are a living sacrifice, offering up our lives for God to use and so by doing so, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us and makes us holy from the inside out. And so we put God's pleasure above our own, right? Holy and pleasing to God, right? 
We put God's pleasure above our own. And by doing so, we ultimately find the greatest pleasure and the greatest joy in our worship of him. And so that lifestyle of obedience, that is one facet of this whole worship idea lived out and expressed in our lives. But then Donald Whitney writes this, in one sense, we can say that all things done in obedience to God, even everyday things at work and at home are acts of worship like we said, but these do not substitute for the directly focused, exclusive of any other activity, biblically based worship of God. And so there are some elements of what you might find in a worship service. It turns out that the things that make up challenge or or a church service in, in 21st century America, it turns out that these exist for a reason because <laughs> we find them in God's word. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He's talking to a congregation. He's talking to a group. Let the word of Christ dwell in you guys richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so scripture then prescribes certain activities that we engage in as manifestations, as expressions of worship. And so one of those is, yes, music. And we just sang two songs as a way of offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. Musical worship, this is not something that, it's not an empty church tradition that somebody came up with, you know, 50 years ago. This is, this is ancient. This is prescribed in the Bible through verses like Colossians 3.16 and through Psalm 33, verse 3, which says, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. This is instructive. This is prescriptive. This is saying, hey, do this. These are verbal, vocal expressions of our worship through song. And then also in, in a service like like here, we have engagement with the word and prayer, right? And so we, we hear teaching or we discuss God's word together in a small group setting. And there's lots of different places or spaces through uh, prayer meetings, right? And we can pray together. This is a part of our, our time that we have on a Tuesday night, uh, life groups, on Sunday morning, uh, church services, this is all part of what God prescribes for us as people in a body of, of believers to do as expressions of worship. And so I want to move on now from that into how we worship, but I'm going to take a pause to say, how do we not worship? There is a right way, which means that there's a wrong way. And to, to, to do the wrong way, means to worship God in vain. There is a, a way, it is possible to worship God in vain. And so back in Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, the author writes, the act of worship without actual worship is a miserable, hypocritical experience. So if worship wearies you, you aren't really worshiping. There's a lot to unpack there. And I think that it's helpful to read that in the context of this 
uh, verse that I have here, Isaiah 29, 13. It says this, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The Lord says, their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. And so what we, we find here is that outward expression of worship without inward affection of worship is in vain. Outward expression of worship without inward affection of worship is in vain. Their hearts are far from me. If your heart is far from God and you're pretending through singing or through prayer or many other ways that we can attempt to worship God, but if this is all done for lip service, then it's in vain. And this next quote says, since the object of our worship is the glorious and majestic God of heaven, when worship becomes empty, the problem lies somewhere with the subject, which is us, not the object, God. And so, God is a worthy object of worship, and it's up to us to be aligned to him. Thankfully, through prayer, we can repent of hypocritical worship and ask God to make our hearts more aligned with him. And so, this is not something that we need to struggle with on our own. No, if you struggle to feel a closeness to God in your heart, that's okay. And that's a lack that you can bring to God in prayer. And so, next, how do we worship? How do we, where should our hearts be in worship? What is the context of worship? And so, I want to examine some of these realities. The first of these, the context, is that worship is in, this is actually some blanks here that you can fill out if you'd like. Worship in private, sorry, I'm going to start over. Public and private. Worship in public and in private. Worship in public and private. So what that means is some things we've already discussed. In the, con- in the context of a gathering with other believers is that public expression of worship, right? And so that's at spaces like tonight or through small groups or church on Sunday or prayer meetings or many other ways that we engage in fellowship as believers. And then this is also something that we should be doing in private. And so... We can do this through spiritual disciplines. This whole series about spiritual is about spiritual discipline, excuse me, spiritual disciplines. And these are some ways through God's word, through prayer, through scripture memory, through meditation upon and study in the word, we can worship God in the, that setting as we spend time, personal time with God. And if that's something that you're still kind of trying to figure out, I encourage you to talk to somebody tonight or meet up with somebody, a staff member, someone in challenge who can help you to spend that personal time with God that is a personal, a private form of pouring out worship to him and getting you closer to God. Dallas Willard writes, in worship we engage ourselves with, dwell upon, and express the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God through thought and the use of words, rituals, and symbols. We do this alone as well as 
in union with God's people. It's, it's both and. And so you might pre- be personally geared toward public or private worship, one or the other. But it's important to engage in both. As a member of the body of Christ and as an individual follower of Christ. And so we worship in public and private. Next, we worship in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. And this is based on something that Jesus said in John chapter four. He said, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, what does that mean? I've struggled with this before. It sounds really cool, (laughs) but what does that mean? And so let's break down each of these briefly. First, worshiping according to the spirit means according to a few things, but according to the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, then he has placed his spirit in you in order to help you. The spirit is called the helper in order to help you live out a godly life. And it helps you, the Holy Spirit helps you in worship and drawing near to God. And as we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our worship, that that makes us more spiritually minded to worship in spirit along with truth. And then also we worship with our inner spirit, the idea of our heart sincerely and affectionately. And so so that worship doesn't become a mechanical thing that's devoid of emotion, just like we read about in Isaiah 29. And so with, with that idea in mind, I kind of want to break this down or look into this like a little bit. Like, what's this mean? Are we supposed to just not worship when we don't feel like it? Or rather, how do we worship when we don't feel like it in here? How do we worship when things are so difficult right now that it seems impossible to conjure up the emotion that's needed to worship. In light of those tough questions, I I want to defer us to this quote. It says, every believer must cross a few spiritual deserts in his or her pilgrimage to the celestial city. Some arid places may be traversed in an hour or a few days. Occasionally, however, you may be required to travel for weeks with an almost withered soul. Press on in worship. Cry out to God for a renewed awareness of the rivers of living water, referring to the Holy Spirit that Jesus in John 7:38 promised would flow in every believer. But don't stop worshiping. Never give up in the desert. You don't know how wide it is and you may be almost a cross. So that, that, that quote comforts me. And one other element comforts me as I think about how to worship in the desert or how to worship when our feelings aren't really there. A story from scripture illustrates a proper response to worship in the face of despair. And the context of the passage I'll share with you is that the character known as Job in the book 
called Job, has just, he's just been informed that, the children, that his children and his livestock and his possessions have all been destroyed or taken. Tragedy has struck the life of Job in this moment, and his response is recorded in Job 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, symbols of grief, and he fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or or charge God with wrong. Isn't that incredible? In his tragedy, Job recognized that God did not owe him anything. And Job leaned on the truth of who he knew God to be as a provider and as sovereign and as a sustainer. And he says, he, he just proclaims the truth to himself. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. This is what he does. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We can worship in abundance or destitution. We can worship when we are abundant in terms of our supply or of our lifestyle or all these different great things might be happening to us. And we can also worship in our destitution, our poverty, our lack. And we can worship in the abundance of emotion and joy. But Job shows us that we can also worship in the low valleys of destitution of the soul and of emotion. Psalm 119 verse 50 says, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. God's promise gives me life. God's promise, God's truth grants us comfort that, that sinks into the soul and the spirit of our hearts. This is how we worship when we don't feel like it. And it's required in some seasons in order to worship in spirit. Now that truth, like I shared, has a huge important role in that process. And so we also need to worship not only in spirit, but also in truth. And so what does that mean? Truth. That means as Jesus says it in John four, That truth is according to the word. It means doing things according to the word, worshiping in that way where we are worshiping thoughtfully, not carelessly. It's according to reality. We worship scripturally in terms of, okay, this is like, we we want to orient our forms of worship around patterns of worship that we find in scripture. And so, but, and we also worship God for who he has revealed himself to be in the Bible. We worship God for who he has revealed himself to be in the Bible. That is the true essence of God, is whatever we see in his word. And so that's where we find him in order to worship him in truth. And so in summary of those two things, spirit and truth, we worship in spirit to keep worship from becoming 
merely mechanical, and we worship in truth to keep from worship to keep worship from becoming merely sentimental or, or mushy, right? These two things hold each other in balance. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Tonight we've examined the worthiness of God and how we can respond to that worthiness through focused worship that is expressive and meaningful, right? God is infinitely worthy of our worship. God is infinitely worthy of our worship. Part of that means that as worshipers of God, we should devote ourselves to making more worshipers of God. Does that make any sense? That happens through evangelism and discipleship. As worshipers of God, we should devote ourselves to making more worshipers of God so that he can be worshiped more (laughs) by more people because he is infinitely worthy of all worship. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's talking about believers, followers of Christ in the new covenant. That what? You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have a wonderful testimony to share, to proclaim to the people around us. This proclamation is both an offering of praise about God to God. God, I proclaim your worth, your worthiness. But it is also an outpouring of praise about God to other people proclaiming him and what, who he is and what he has done for us. And because God is worthy of your worship, we proclaim his excellencies because he is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your friend's worship. He is worthy of your neighbor's worship, as well as the worship of every person in China and the Middle East in remote villages, in unreached people groups, and yes, everyone in the world. He's worthy of that. So we should act to proclaim God's excellencies and promote the worship of him to the ends of the earth. Now, back to Kung Fu Panda. For those of you who only came for the Kung Fu Panda content, I'm sorry, it's, I've been a little light on that. But in the movie, when the protagonist is confirmed as the dragon warrior, he's allowed to open the dragon scroll. He's quick. He's quick, guys. Wow. The dragon scroll. Can we see the dragon scroll? Yeah, there it is. Woof. All right, it's pretty dark. It's in the middle there. Because... He's the dragon warrior. He's the only one who's worthy to open that scroll. Do you see where I'm going with this? Maybe not. At the the risk of comparing Jesus Christ to an animated panda bear, (laughs) I want to share with you a chapter from the book of Revelation that relates to this image. The book of Revelation is the last chapter, or the last book in the Bible, and it is a glimpse into the future where Jesus returns and is finally ascribed the worth and glory and honor that he is due. This is long. 
It might be on a slide or two. I'm just going to read this. I just want this to wash over you in whatever way works for you. Revelation chapter 5 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take this scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our, and, and priests to serve our God, and they will reign in, on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Jesus has purchased your salvation with his blood, and he is worthy of your worship. And if you are his child, you have the opportunity to worship him forever. So why not start now? Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to honor you and worship you for the worthy God and creator and savior that you are. I pray that you would help our hearts 
to come alongside and to remove the distractions from us that we so easily fall into worship of. But God, I pray that you would be the, the focal point, the center of our worship in our life and in our, our concentrated moments of worship. I pray that you would draw hearts near to you tonight who are far. I pray that, that those of us who need to respond to your gift of salvation would do so tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would be worshiped by our gathering as your people and through, through worship, through song, through your word spoken, your spirit among us. And God, I pray that you'd be worshiped in every single part of our lives as we walk away from here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.